I'm your host, Erin Groves, and this is where your positivity journey starts. Welcome to the Pop Podcast. Hey, 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 guys. Welcome back to the Pop Podcast. I am your host, Erin, and I brought a guest into the studio with me today, and he is a really good family friend. He is included in my family group chats and is one of my dad's best friends. And today we have in the studio, Steve Jacoby. Welcome. Say hello. Hello. It's great to be here. (laughs) Thanks for hopping on. And Steve actually, as mentioned, was my dad's really good friend, but he helped me get my first job here in Dallas. He was the reason that I moved to Dallas helped me with networking, helped me get connected. And I'm not going to introduce him. So introduce who are you? Where'd you come from? Give us a little background. Sure. Steve Jacoby. I live in Dallas, Texas, but I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. Moved here in 1983 to attend SMU, where I graduated in 1987 with a degree in business. I've been in Dallas pretty much ever since, except for a five-year stint in Houston from 1993 to 1998. Moved back here in 98, been here pretty much ever since. And as far as career, uh, currently in software sales uh, with Red Hat Corporation. I met Aaron's father, Abraham, when I was in medical sales, where I had a real nice run with his company, <laughs> but eventually moved over into high tech in 2000. So, but now I'm with Red Hat. He's been there ever since. And him and my dad are basically the same person, if you're out there listening and you know my dad. They're similar, but they're different, both very outgoing. Um, but yeah, that's how I met Steve. He, You knew my dad, obviously, before I was born, right? Yes, I did. I sure did. <laughs> I know. It's always so funny to like, hear stories. I think your oldest sister was born maybe your middle brother. Wait, wait you're, you're not I'm, the youngest. No, I'm the middle. So maybe your oldest sister. That's it. I don't know if she'd been born yet either. Yeah. It was 1993. You tell me. Do the math. Yeah, no, because my parents weren't married till 94. So maybe like right when they first met. Okay. Yeah. Deal. So. And I'd have seen your family like live in like four different houses. So <laughs> I've seen a lot of different houses. A lot of Including different. a house where I backed over your mailbox. <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. So he's seen me grow up. And I remember too, when I was first thinking about when I graduated, what did I want to do? And him and my dad always said, go into sales. And I was hell bent on going into med sales and you were like go into software sales this is where it's at this is where the money is so to start off this podcast take us from the beginning so when you graduated college what was your mindset where did you want to go into were you i want to build myself up in the corporate world into sales or kind of take us through that first jump start yeah always wanted to get into sales because when i was a child i was uh, a paper boy in columbus uh i enjoyed the customer interaction and we had to collect the subscriber um, fees back then. There wasn't an automatic bill. So I had to go out each month and collect the the, the payments owed to the Columbus Dispatch. <laughs> and then also for my baseball team, I had to, to uh, sell cases of Coca-Cola and pizzas to try to drive mu- revenue so we could buy new uniforms and go on road trips. And I always was one of the top sellers. I thought, you know, this is pretty fun. I'm pretty good at this. And I enjoy the customer interaction. So I think I'd like to get into sale. Always wanted to get into sales. It's just what was it I was going to sell. Mm-hmm. Then when I graduated from SMU, a lot of friends of mine were going to work for Trammell Crow Company, a real estate company. I thought, I need to go work for Trammell Crow. 
I went to work for Trammell Crow, but one of the big lessons I'm going to talk about today is I worked for them for a couple of years, but then the real estate markets crashed and Trammell Crow as a company really disintegrated, cut into several parts. A lot of the partners were leaving. And this is when I got my first business lesson in life that what you think you might do when you get out of college and you're so excited about mm-hmm. might really change rapidly or quickly and cause you to th- rethink what you're going to do. So real estate was my first thing I was going to do, but quickly, you know, a few years later, I was into medical sales and basically in 1990. And so is that why you switch over medical sales was because of that? Did you enjoy doing real estate or kind of touch on that? And then a step further, I always ask two part questions. Um, how did you navigate transferring those skills to a completely different industry? Great question, Aaron. Uh, I'm, I was concerned with real estate because the, the office buildings in Dallas were not leasing. We weren't busy. Mm-hmm. I was kind of bored. Instead of leasing space, I was doing a lot of market reports, research. Like, this isn't what I want to do. And then uh, at my health club one day, um, I met a guy that was in medical sales mm-hmm. doing well. And I was talking to him about my situation. And he said, you really ought to look into medical sales. So I started interviewing around, talking to people. And I finally met a guy that was willing to give me a chance. It all it takes is one. That's another theme of today. <laughs> it takes one person to give you an opportunity. I met a guy that gave me an opportunity to sell EKGs and Holter monitors for a company called QMed, my first medical sales job in like 1990. And then he, I did that for a few years, did well. And then I moved on to working for the, your father's company, work for Cordis through a, a girl I met. Uh, I can tell you this story too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is another story about how life has really strange turns. Uh, I met this girl one day at a FedEx Kinko's. Actually, it was just Kinko's back then. So I was t- making copies of an article that was proving the efficacy of the products I was selling. You do that a lot in medical sales. You you show doctors, hey, here's a study about this product we have. She had come in. She was doing the same thing. I'm like, wow, maybe she's selling something to medical too. So I struck up a conversation, <laughs> which is a great lesson for anybody that talk to a lot of people, introduce yourself to people. They might tell you about something totally different than what you're doing. Open up a whole new area. Long story, her name is Deborah Karanges. I'll never forget this. She, we talked, we had lunch that day and she said, you know, you sell EKGs and Holters, you know, you can make pretty good money, um, but you can make a lot more money doing what I'm doing, selling angioplasty balloons and stents. She goes, in fact, there's a big convention in Anaheim, California next week. I should, I can get you a pass to get you in. You should take um, a couple of days off work, fly out there on your own dime and come out there with some, uh, you know, a briefcase full of resumes and introduce yourself to these people at this meeting because you might meet somebody at an angioplasty balloon company that could change your career. And I thought about it, slept on it. And the, my gut feeling said, mm-hmm. you know, that's probably a risk worth taking. And that's another lesson for today is trust your instincts. Mm-hmm. Trust your If your gut says go for it, it's probably something you should do. So I flew out there. She got me that badge to get in. I was walking around pretty, not scared, but just kind of intimidated. Like, where am I? What am I doing? I'm, I'm in a different, all the way across the country. But just wear your nice blue suit, walk around, shake hands, talk to people. And I met a guy named Bob Combs 
at the at the Cordis booth. C O R D I S. Cordis is Latin meaning of the heart. It's a major medical company. For Johnson and Johnson. For John. Well, they had not been bought by Johnson and Johnson at that time, but they okay. re- eventually were. But I told him, hey, look, I'm with I'm with QMed. I'm doing well. I'd like to get into the angioplasty balloon space. Do you have any openings? And he was surprised that I actually even got in there. He said, well, how did you even get into the thing? This is for doctors. I said, well, I found a way in through somebody else in the industry. And he said, the fact that you're here and this aggressive tells me something about you. And he kind of bought off on my aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. And we scheduled an interview back in Dallas a few weeks later after that one. And that one went well. And ultimately, I got the job with Cordis. They said, you can move to New Orleans or Houston. I said, well, I'm not going to New Orleans. I'd be happy to go to Houston. And my whole life changed just because I met somebody at a Kinko's. And that's a big lesson for anybody on this podcast is that you might find opportunities in your life in the weirdest places. You might meet somebody on an airplane. You might meet somebody at a health club. You might meet somebody at a restaurant. The, the theme is to kind of keep your eyes open, look around, keep reading, keep talking to people because what you think you're going to do might not end up being what you do do. And the power of people and every time you meet a person, that person has hundreds and hundreds of mm-hmm. contacts that you, that you don't have. That girl, Deborah Courageous totally changed my life because she knew people I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And wow, what an amazing, I mean, had I not been at that Kinko's at that hour, at that moment, I never would have gone to work for Cordis. I never would have met your dad. I never would have met you. I mean, it's just amazing how your life can can turn on things like that. Yeah. And you touched on two things that are you always, Steve's always someone that I call for advice on career or what should I do, especially at my old job, just, you know, navigating the industry. What should I do with this? And him and my dad are very similar. And I think there's definitely qualities that I have from just networking and talking to people. So touch on that a little bit more. And touch on, you were intimidated when she, when you went to this conference, but that didn't stop you from going because of listening to your gut instinct. So touch on, for people out there listening, like if that's something, you know, fear or they're intimidated to go out there, like being told no, your thing is it only takes one, just like in sports or whatever it is, it takes a touchdown to win or whatever it is, it, it takes one thing for the light bulb to go off and your entire life has changed. So just touch on networking and give advice for people out there. Yeah. So I would go back to the thing about just meet people, talk to people. If you meet people in your life, just say, where where do you work? What do you do? Do you like it? Is it something you feel like you should do? You talk to some people that say, no, our industry is really not doing that Mm -hmm. well, or our company's not doing that well. Um, You know, I can fast forward a little bit to 2000 when um, I noticed that the technology boom had happened. You know, the dot-com thing was real hot. And I thought to myself, my brother just got really wealthy working for Mark Cuban here in Dallas for a tech company. Like, maybe I should get into tech. So I had been in medical like 10 years, had done well, but I was wondering, you know, maybe there's something better out there for me. Mm-hmm. So I started interviewing around with high-tech companies. And to your point, I was told no over and over and over again. Well, you don't have any experience. You don't have any experience. Mm. But I did meet a guy, one guy, named Bruce Chumley with a company called EMC, which was later bought out by Dell. And he said, you know what? I like your personality. You've got a lot of personality. I like your who-ness. I need to work on your whatness because you don't know anything about this business. <laughs> I said, well, I didn't know anything about angioplasty. I didn't know anything about EKGs. I can learn anything. Mm-hmm. But I found that w- another one guy, one person, 
who was willing to give me a chance. And he said, well, call me in a couple of weeks. I'm going to go work for a spinoff of EMC called McData. We sell these really expensive routers that connect servers to high-end storage systems. We're going to need some people. And I think you'd be an excellent addition to the team. So call me in two weeks. I will probably have something for you. But up until that point, I've been told no probably 15, 17 times and been discouraged. Like, wow, this software, this this high-tech thing might not work out. But I was one for 18. And that one hit totally changed my life. I go to work for McData. I was there seven years. Um, They became brocade. I eventually switched over to Cisco Systems. I was there for eight years. That went very well. And then I've enjoyed a really pretty nice tech career. I'm now over at Red Hat. But it all started with that one guy, Bruce Mm -hmm. Chumley in 2000, that said, hey, you know what? I'll take a chance on you. So there's going to be a lot of rejection in your life. I've been told no a lot of times. But if you just, I heard Kobe Bryant say this once, Mm -hmm. the Los Angeles Lakers player. He said, in life, you just got to keep one step after another. Just keep moving. Don't give up because something, if you keep working hard, something good is going to happen to you. And I think that's one of the best attributes I have is just, being consistent, showing up every day, continuing to try, and because things might happen for you. Which I think is something really hard for people. And I mean, I get this in my day job now, cold calling all the time. You get told no all the time, and they hammer on us and tell us all the time, which, I mean, it, it just takes one. It takes one yes to be your next deal. And I think it's hard when you're going through the thick of it. And that's why I love this platform, like hearing people like you just put, and you always tell me that he's like, just keep working hard, keep working hard. Something good (laughs) will happen to you, right? Yeah. It goes back to a lesson my dad gave. He used to coach college football. He would tell his players when somebody fumbled or things weren't going well, nobody feels sorry for you. Nobody's coming for you. Okay. Nobody feels sorry for you. Just keep working hard. Something's going to pop. Something's going to crack. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a great model for life. Yeah. Because, you know, I've had some bad days. I've had some deals go south. I've had some commission. I've lost, when I was in Houston in medical sales for your dad's company, <clears throat> when in one of the first years I was down there, we lost one of the biggest accounts we had. And it was devastating for about a year. And then eventually they came back to us. But it, it was it was pretty devastating when it happened. Yeah. And it's hard. So touch on uh, you touch on failure a little bit, getting told no from whether it's changing industries or learning something new. How did you deal with those setbacks? Was it kind of just going back to that mindset of one foot in front of the other, or was there tangible things that you did to help you get over failure and deal with failure and keep moving forward? You know, I think about that failure in Houston. I think to myself, what I kind of try to step back a little bit and analyze. Why did I, why did I lose this account? What happened? Mm -hmm. Um, I had the guy that was running that the division of that hospital. I spent time with him, but I never socially took him out to dinner, spent face-to-face time with him, whereas I think my competitor did. So I, stuck, I, th- I stepped back a little bit and thought about it. I thought, what could I have done differently? Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I realized that from now on at that point, now we're not able to do that now a lot because of COVID, but I wanted to have more face-to-face interactions with people, so it was more, I built built more of a personal relationship. Mm-hmm. That's an example of once that account decided, hey, you know, Cordis's technology is really better than this other company. It was called USCI. We really want to go back to to Jacoby's company's products. I realized at that point I, was, I got a break. They came back to us, and I was never going to let that situation that happened before mm-hmm. happen again. And 
I learned this from your father that business is really a lot of just personal relationships. People want to buy from people. They buy from people they like, people they trust, they count on. You know, at another account in Houston, the veterans, the VA hospital, I had a guy there say something to me I'll never forget. And after about two years of calling on them, he said, you know, I like doing business with you. I go, why is that? He goes, because you do what you say you're going to do. I go, other sales reps don't do that? He goes, a lot of them don't. When you make me a promise, you always follow up. When you make us a, a deal about certain discounts you're going to give us, if we buy certain amounts, you uphold those discounts. You're consistent with us. You show up a lot. A lot of sales reps don't show up. I think that's another thing about just being around, being present, so your customers feel like they can count on you. So I've had some setbacks, but I think if you just keep forward and learn a little bit, like I did mm-hmm. in that one hospital's case of spending more time personally with the customers, that's probably the best lesson I learned. And whether you're out there and you're listening and you're in sales or not, it's, I think consistency in anything you're doing. We've talked about this on previous episodes. Like if you're trying to lose weight and you're not consistent with working out, it's going to be kind of <clears> hard <throat> to get to that place. If you're trying to you know, eat super healthy or whatever it is. If you're not showing up every day and putting in the work, people ask me all the time, you know, how are you so consistent with working out? Or how do you do this? Like, cause I just show up every single day. I do it. It's part of my routine. And that's when you get the results. It's the same thing in business. And it's funny that you said that too, because you hear a lot that people buy from people that they like and people that show up. And I actually talked about this on the episode with Jen Hills. I was shocked to hear how many people don't do that in sales. Like, it's crazy that doing the little things like showing up, promising, like, hey, if I'm going to be there tomorrow at six, that means I'm going to be there tomorrow at six. The number of people that don't do that. Yeah. To me, it's like, what? Or even things like, I'll send an article about something that affects a customer's business. Like, hey, John, I thought you might find this of interest. Um, Just showing that you care about them. Mm -hmm. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I mean, just the little things like that. Successful people are other people conscious. And that's served me pretty well, I think, in sales. Touch on that a little bit more. I think it's, uh, especially in today's day and age, I think it's, I mean, obviously you need to provide for yourself. You need to be, there's a time to be selfish. But I think, and a lot of the guests that I've had on are very other-oriented people. They're very selfless people. And I think that's a, you know, a huge reason why they've been so successful. So touch on that a little bit from your perspective. About helping other people and things like that. Just being selfless in business and yeah. Personally. I mean, I'll give you one right now. I think I sent you a photo of it today, that car that burned. Yeah. Okay. That guy is a friend of mine and he works for a company called Cognizant that Red Hat does business with. And we become friends and I've really enjoyed working with him. And he had this horrific car situation where his car caught on fire. And I said to him, Hey, is there anything I can do for you? And he goes, yeah, if you can do this, this, and this, and uh, I don't, I don't have any, food right now. I went out and bought him a bunch of food that I brought it to his house because he's been so busy. And then tomorrow night I'm taking him out to dinner because he, he just hasn't been able to even just get food. He's been so busy with, you know, going to, the, he had to go to the hospital for a little bit to get checked out. They thought he, he had in some, the car? they thought he had some burns. He got out of the car in time, but they thought he had might've had some other issues. So he's okay, but he's been dealing with insurance companies and um, adjusters and filling out paperwork. It's been a nightmare. So, just caring about him personally and taking him out to dinner, it's something you would do for a friend. Mm-hmm. I, I do more business with him than friend, but if if people care, if they see how much you care about them, 
maybe a year from now or six months from now, I might need something from him business wise and he'll do that. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a part of your whole being of caring about people that it it just should be part of your personality. If you will just do the right thing, do the right thing for people. I saw that with your dad. Like when he was in hospitals in those cardiac cath labs, he was just, he kind of like blended in as part of the staff. Like if you didn't know him or what he did, you would think he worked for that hospital. You would think he was a member of the cardiac cath lab staff, not a sales rep for Cordis Johnson and Johnson. That's you need to incorporate your business people as part of your life, part of what you do not. You can't just turn it off. Oh, yeah. I'll see him next week. It's just a part of your life, and hopefully, you have built relationships that are mm-hmm. strong enough that you actually do want to care about people. You want to do things for people, so. It's an interesting thing, but right now, you know, I have it going on right now with this guy with Cognizant and I'll be taking him to dinner on Friday night, brought him some food today. Yeah. And it's just, it's just part of, of life. It's a hard thing to teach, but I, it's, it, at times it can be not time consuming, but it's just putting in the extra effort. And we talked about this on work on Monday. People can tell if you actually genuinely care and like you actually care about them as a person. You know, obviously in business, there's a time and a place for that. But I think it's just taking it a step further really stands you out, whether that's at a birthday saying happy birthday or sending them a card if they just got married or acknowledging their weekend, little things like that, that I think people easily can overlook because they're too caught up in this, 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 or, you know, I want this. And I've seen this a lot in very me, 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 me. Like, how can I get this commission check? How can I do this? And sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, well, what about the person on the other end? You know what I mean? Like, if you're just doing business poorly just to get yourself a commission check, like, I disagreed with that from day one. Oh, yeah. I think life rewards people that are givers. There's givers mm-hmm. and takers in life. Mm-hmm. And life rewards givers, people that care about other people and do things for other people. And in business, I've just seen it too many times when you when you help customers I had one customer in Amarillo, I'll give you an example, that they had a crisis. They, they ran out of products, and they, they had two patients that were coming in that afternoon, early evening. And they said, Steve, is there any way you can come out here? And, you know, I live in Dallas, which is an airplane flight. Yeah. And I'm like, God, this is going to be a pain. I mean, to myself, I'm like, this is going to be a pain in the rear end <laughs> to fly out there. But I said, you know what? Let me look at the Southwest Airlines schedule. I'll see what I can do. I'll call you back. I, I saw a flight about an hour and a half later. I bought it. I booked it. I flew out there with the two devices they needed. I said, I'm on the way. I'm at the airport. I'm coming right now. I'll be there in about an hour and a half. Sure enough, I got there right before the cases started. I handed off the procedure. It was a complete pain in my ass, pain in my <laughs> rear end to do that. Yeah. Okay. But just showing that did you do the extra effort and care about them because they really needed it for their business. Mm-hmm. The heck with me. It was a total inconvenience for me, but they really needed it. And that's the kind of thing that customers never forget. Yeah. And people never forget. And it builds on the relationships and you never know who you're, and you always tell me this too, and like never burn a bridge because you never know when that person's going to come back into your life later or when that person could be your, could be your next boss. I feel like my dad gave me that advice. He's like, you never know, Aaron, who's going to be your next next boss. You never know. I mean, you just... I've had people um, that I interviewed for a job with that turned me down. And then I wrote them a note saying, thanks so much for the opportunity to interview with your company. And I wish you the best of luck. And maybe we'll have a chance to cross paths one day. And those people call you back. 
Mm-hmm. I had a company called Ivanti, I-V-A-N-T-I, that called me about two months ago. Said, you know, we really liked you. Um, that person we hired didn't work out, but we really liked you. Would you like to talk to us? And I said, no, right now I'm in a good place. But I left that conversation thinking, okay, I made a good impression on them. They, mm-hmm. they didn't forget about me. So, yeah, you'd never know. You never know where your next opportunity is going to come from. And every day people are making impressions about you, whether, yeah. regardless of whether you want them to or not, they judge you on things like that. And so you always want to make a, for a good a first impression or second impression or third impression because you never know when something's going to change. Yeah, I know that's advice that you hear often and I've heard it before, but it's just that reminder, especially on days that... You know, if someone's made you mad or things aren't going well, I think it's easy to get super frustrated and like, oh, this, this, or like say things that you don't mean. And that's something that I always like really try to internalize. Like, okay, everyone has bad days, but just keep a positive outlook and keep moving forward. Yeah, keep moving forward because you never know where the next opportunity is. And one thing I did learn about business is if somebody sends you an email that you don't like, it's not a good idea to respond right away, Mm -mm. sleep on it. Sometimes don't even respond. Because you can't misquote silence. Because usually if you're upset, something that you say, you know, you can, you'll say something, you could say something that you later regret. So it's better just to not say anything. I've learned that lesson. Yeah. <laughs> both a good way and bad way. Yeah. It's a personal things too. It's like responding emotionally when you're mad versus responding logically when you've sat on it and thought about it. Yeah. Which I've never understood. I've never received, I've had colleagues I've received really mean emails. I've never received something, but I don't, again, I don't really understand what's the point. Like if you're that mad at someone. Well, usually if you write an email that's real emotional, they immediately turn you off and they just, they, they think of you as not really professional. Yeah. So that, that's why you can't be doing that kind of stuff. Let the email sit, let it simmer. Yeah. Let your mind simmer worry about the next day and the next day you probably don't even want to respond to it yeah exactly or respond thank you for the kind words <laughs> just kidding yeah maybe you just answer yeah. okay i understand your your point of view thank you yeah. just real innocuous like yeah. that thank you yeah i like that so moving from uh medical to technology sales and you've been with in technology sales for how long 21 years 21 years So basically since 2000, since 2000. So clearly he's only 21 years old. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. Um, But moving from medical sales to technology sales, touch on the transition a little bit. Do you think that there was skills that you learned since this is, you know, you're sale been in sales your whole life. So for people out there, maybe they're trying to get into sales if they're in college or maybe they're in sales now thinking about moving would you say there's skills that were transferable or kind of touch on that transition and what you learned going from one industry to another? Yeah, I would say one thing I would just say is you can learn anything. Mm-hmm. That's the number one point I would want to make is I learned how to sell EKGs, holter devices. I learned how to sell angioplasty balloons. Then I learned how to sell big switchers, switches and routers with McData brocade and then big switches, routers and software with Cisco. And then I learned how to sell data storage and software with EMC. And now I'm selling nothing but software mm-hmm. with Red Hat. I think the one thing I would impart on the audience is you can learn about anything. If you put your mind to it, you can learn anything. Um, so 
if you study hard enough and you want something hard enough, you can learn any of these technologies, whether you're selling tabletops, microphones, car, you can learn anything. As far as the skills that transfer, yeah, I think listening to customers. I mean, to me, ultimately, sales is finding out what customers want mm -hmm. and giving it to them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So whether it's selling medical devices, if I have a physician or a cardiac catheter that wants a certain product that does a certain thing, or right now in software, if I have a customer that really wants to automate their server and storage environment, if you listen to them, they'll tell you what they, they need. But you have to listen and not do a lot of talking. So that skill of listening and kind of like sifting through, okay, what's their why? Why do they want to talk to us? What, what is their, another one is, what is the customer's pain point? Mm -hmm. You're basically, as a salesperson, you're basically as a consultant. Mm -hmm. You're there to fix the, uh, the pain they might have or make their lives easier. So I remember when I was in medical sales, a skill I developed that I think has been really good is I would say, hey, my product may or may not work for your situation. Let's look at this procedure. And there was a few times that I said, hey, I don't want you using my product. It's not right for this situation. Mm -hmm. And the customers really appreciate that because you were coming across as a consultant. That's what customers want now. They don't want to be sold. They want to be, mm -hmm. they want someone that can kind of serve as a consultant and listen to their needs. And you might have a solution like in what you do now. You might have a customer that's perfectly happy. They don't really have any pain. And you might have to just, yeah, I'm glad that you're doing well. But you might have a customer, if you listen to them, that has some pain that you mm -hmm. could fix. So the, those skills I learned in the medical arena have, have transferred well over into high tech as far as listening to what the customers mm -hmm. need, what their pain is, trying to solve their pain, trying to make them more efficient, help them save money, help them make more money. If you just listen to them long enough, they'll open up the doors to what they're, what they're really looking for. And it kind of goes back to the trust, too. I feel like people will talk to and explain and go deeper with people that they like and trust. And I had an account that I just sold and I got really close with the HR lady that works there. She might be listening. Hello, Jaren, if you're out there. And she and I just became really close. And there was things during the entire process that I knew that we could trust each other with just because we had built that relationship. And I think it just goes back to like, if you actually care about the person and her and I had conversations about gluten-free pizza and all different types of stuff and she would send me stuff on Instagram. So it's like you build that relationship outside of business. And then when it comes to business, there's just more trust. There's more transparency. If there's an issue that maybe you're not here, hearing directly, they'll tell you and like kind of give you that information that you can help guide whoever it is in the process to that, which I think is hard to, we're talkers, obviously. I'm yeah. a talker. <laughs> Successful people, I've, there's a few people in technology sales I've run across. One guy in particular, his name's Patrick Tavares. I worked with him at Red Hat for probably three years until he took a different job with a startup me. He really doesn't talk a lot. Mm -hmm. He listens a lot to his customers and he comes up with a technical solution. I have another sales rep that I deal with in Denver who's, how do I say it the right way? He comes across not dorky, but he comes across very kind of shy and soft-spoken. Introverted. Yeah. And, but when you start listening to him, you can tell he's really smart. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he doesn't talk a lot makes the customer think, realize they're not being sold to. But once he comes across with a solution that might work for them, 
they really trust him. He's one of our best sales guys. Mm-hmm. If you first meet him, you would think he's one of the most non-sales sales people you would ever meet because he doesn't, he's now that they're going, okay, what can I sell this guy today? Mm-hmm. He's thinking to myself, let's talk to the customer, see what their needs are. And I might have something that works for them, but I might not. And his personality is really interesting. When I first met him, I'm like this guy is a sales rep for Red Hat. But the more I was around, I'm like, oh, I get it. I know why this guy's successful because he's so non-threatening. As a customer, the customers don't feel like they're on the defensive, like they're being sold to. They feel like they're being, they're having a conversation with this guy. They're talking about technology that may or may not be able to help them, but they're having a constructive conversation about technology. It's not really, they're not, he's not really selling to them. It's a big difference. Yeah. So that's something I've learned both in medical sales or high tech. If you sometimes tell them your, your solution doesn't work or you don't need what I have. Wow. That goes a long way. Try that sometime for those listening. Try it. If your product really doesn't work, say that it's not really the right product for your situation. And the the customer will be shocked. And it's hard because I think you're not taught, but you have a quota today. There's certain things. So you want the answer to be yes. And I deal with this a lot. If someone asks me a question, it's easy for people. And I've, you know, asked my boss this question. Like, if I don't know the answer, she's like, don't say yes. Just say like, Hey, I will get back to you on that. I don't know if the answer is yes or if it's no. And if the answer is no, don't feel bad about it, which I think can be hard sometimes in sales. Like you don't want to have the no answer, but I think if you're always saying yes, you're considered the yes man. Like, oh, he always says yes. There's no way you can always say yes. Well, and that goes back to my, the transfer from uh, medical to technology. There was a lot of meetings when I started. I didn't know what I was doing. And so someone told me this trick is when you're in one of those meetings and you're just starting out with a company, write down everything you don't know. Oh yeah. You taught me this. That over time, and then go back to some engineers, get the answers that over time, those gaps will fill in. It's okay to say, I don't have the answer, but I'll get it back to you later this afternoon. As long as you follow up with them, you have to follow up. Mm-hmm. Hey John, the answer to your question on this software version 2.1 is this. As long as you follow up, the customers are okay with it. Mm-hmm. But it's okay to not, to not know and write down what you don't know. And over time, you'll fill in those gaps. And how long do you think it took you? Uh, my next question was kind of, you know, growth throughout, you know, your 20s, 30s, seeing career growth over the last 30 years. Um, but how long do you think it took you to really understand that and encompass that? That process of, of not knowing something in you Just coming to the realization that, like, it's okay to say no. I think it takes people time to get to that place or to feel comfortable enough in their sales. I think there's a lot of people early on in their sales career who make that mistake of saying yes, 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 yes. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. It probably, when you first started, when I first started my job selling the EKGs and holders. So it probably took me maybe a couple of years to be comfortable with doing that. Mm -hmm. But my boss said, look, you don't want to be wrong. Mm -hmm. Being wrong is worse than, thinking you're right and then realizing you're wrong. So you'd rather be slow and deliberate with your answer, find out for sure rather than being wrong. So it's kind of like a news reporter that reports something real quick, but they've got the wrong story. Mm-hmm. You want to be right. So it took me probably a couple of years into my medical sales career to figure that out. Yeah. And so, it's, it's good advice. Real good advice. Yeah. It's, 
And I also think, and you can speak on this, is I think whether you're in sales or you're not in sales, I think there are attributes and things that you can apply to anything that you're doing. You always hear that sales is like the one occupation that you can take anywhere. If you're an entrepreneur, you're a salesperson. If you're in fine, you're always selling yourself or you're always selling something. It doesn't matter what it is. Always. Yeah. Always. Like it's people, you want to show interest in people. Like today I was having lunch with a guy and he said his son, I remember he told me his son was, was off to college a few months ago or a few weeks ago. And he's at Belmont college in Nashville. I said, Hey Dan, how's it going? We're, with Hunter at Belmont. How's it going? Well, oh, parents weekends coming up this weekend. Where are you guys staying? So I talked about he and his son for like 15, 20 minutes. We talked about how expensive it was to go to Nashville, the mm-hmm. hotels, but a lot of people wouldn't ask about his kid. They would have forgotten about that. They would have want to talk about what they were doing. Mm-hmm. But once you show someone else that you're interested in what they're doing, you know, everyone's favorite radio station is WIIFM. <laughs> What's in it for me? If you just show interest in people, they'll generally gravitate towards you and they'll want to help you whether you're a friend or whether you're doing business with them. They want to help people that they enjoy being around. Yeah. The theme of this entire episode is just being, is, it's humanizing yourself in a business world. I think it can be hard. There's some, you know, occupations that are more cutthroat than others, but at the end of the day, you're always selling and Again, you never know who you're going to meet. If you're in FedEx and you meet someone and they know your old boss that things went south with, that could be the deciding factor. Yeah. You never know. I remember when I first started, you know, I first trained with Cordis, they sent me to Columbus to work with your dad. And I was going to meet this number one sales rep. who, Who is this guy? Like, what's his magic sauce? Like, he was number one sales rep a lot. And the one thing I learned was he doesn't have a lot of technology. He doesn't have the spreadsheets that compare last week's numbers with this week's numbers. He, he just gets in front of his customers and he works with them and he tries to help them find products that help them with their patients. Mm. He, he's one of the most less, least technical sales reps I've mm. ever met. Um, but he knows people and he knows how to, to, to be motivational to people and people like him. People want to be around him and they trust him. He knows his products really well. Yeah. But he doesn't use a lot of the tech gadgets and tech toys that people want to use in sales. And in fact, he's probably not very good at it. He, <laughs> he knows how to do, use his phone. <laughs> I mean, he knows how to do email and stuff, but he's really good at relationships and listening to customers. And I remember I came to Columbus once to visit him um, for an Ohio State game. They were playing USC that weekend. I'll never forget this. He said, hey, I got two tickets for your high school game tonight. Upper Arlington was the high school. He goes, they got a big game tonight. Let's go to your high school game tonight. I'm like, how many people would do that? How many people would think about where I went to high school (laughs) and buy me tickets for my own high school when he didn't even go there? See what I'm saying? That's the Yeah, but he also loves football, so let's not get ahead of ourselves (laughs) But that's the kind of guy guy he is, you know? That's the kind of guy he is, you know? Yeah. So it's interesting. <laughs> there still was a what's in it for him was going to watch football, and we all know he loves football. <laughs> but, yeah, no, he still doesn't know how to use technology. He doesn't even know what the podcast is. I told him about the podcast, and he was like, oh, I think I listened to something as he's on, like, 11 Warriors or something. I think he knows how to only look up Ohio State football and then. They have a podcast, yeah. I think uh, he did it that way maybe by accident. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, he has no idea. He's like, I just hit this button. Click on the purple button. <laughs> yeah. He does not get it. Oh, geez. The question is, over the last 30 years that you've been in sales, you always hear the phrase, you know, if you put in the work early, you're going to see the results later. From your perspective, you know, I'm assuming that you were, well, I know that you were a hard worker in your 20s, 30, I mean, you still are, but how did you notice your career growth over time? If that question makes sense. Like, yeah. was it that you planted the seeds earlier and then you saw it come to fruition later or how was, or was it instantaneous overnight you saw success or like touch on that? Well, especially when I got into technology in 2000, I can tell that in 2000, I started building a lot of relationships with, I deal with a lot of business partners for my company. So right now I manage our partners for Red Hat. A lot of the relationships I have now, I had back in the early mm -hmm. 2000s. So if you stay in an industry for, for a certain amount of time, mm -hmm. a lot of the relationships you deal with early on can really help you out down the road. So that's where I matured that, hey, if you stay in a certain space, if you might sell something different, a little different, you can still develop, the, use those relationships. What I also learned with my maturity was if you study the technology where the, early on, whether it's with Brocade, Cisco for eight years, and now Red Hat for four, if you study long enough, you will learn the technology. Don't be intimidated by it. Mm -hmm. If you're changing to a different company, don't be intimidated. You're smart. You figured it out before. You will do it again. But lean on those relationships you have because the ones you had before probably can help you again down the road. But I've just, I think the main thing I've developed is self-confidence. That, that since I've done it before at Cordis or Brocade or Cisco, I can do it again. And so I think that's the best. And now I'm, I'm viewed as a guy at, at Red Hat that helps train younger sales people, younger uh, alliance people, because they know that I've been doing this for a while. You can be viewed as a resource. And mm -hmm. that's even the, that's the most fun part when you can kind of give back. Which is something that uh, Ron talked about on last week's episode. If you haven't listened to that, uh, you can go back and listen. And he touched on that a lot. And I think to be more specific on my last question, I think there's this expectation, especially with you know technology today and social media, that there's success that happens overnight. And you tell me this all the time if I'm frustrated just to be patient. Touch on that. Yeah, so many people, you know, I was young once too. So many young mm -hmm. people, they want to be, they want to be, you know, they want to do something right away. They want to make a hundred grand right away. Or they want to be CEO right away. You have to realize that this stuff takes time. You know, it's, it might take 10 years. Um, but if you just keep plugging away at it, something will eventually crack for you. I remember when I was in medical sales, my first medical job was, I made like maybe 60 grand, 70 grand. But I plugged away at it, built relationships, met that gal at FedEx, which led me to the next opportunity, took over one of the worst territories in the country, in Houston. It was ranked dead, not dead last, second to dead last. If I knew how bad that territory was, <laughs> I would not have even taken the job. I love when that happens. I got down there. I'm like, oh my Lord, what have I gotten myself <laughs> into? I'll never forget that. That was a really weird feeling. Um, scary. But- I had another mentor at quarters that said, Steve, just relax, just build relationships, talk to people one conversation at a time. Mm -hmm. Okay. Build relationships. A customer will have a need and you'll be able to fill it that day. You'll be able to take care of a, 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 an urgent situation over time. Things will fill in for you or, or the customer will start trusting you. And then you'll give you an opportunity to sell them some other stuff. 
but it took a mentor to tell me that mm-hmm. to not like freak out right right away but you have to tell yourself to be mentally strong and realize that it might take you if you take over sales territory it might take you a couple of years two and a half years to really get it cranking because you were probably hired because somebody didn't do a good job mm-hmm. or if somebody got promoted maybe they sold so much they drained the lake you know that happens in sales too so sometimes it might take a couple of years to really get things going you have to be mentally strong and, and maybe one year you have a down year but you're living for that next year where things are going to take off you just have to have that mentality it's a it's a marathon. It really is a marathon, not a sprint. And whether uh, you know, Steve's obviously an expert in sales and has done his whole life, but I think it, it's really in anything. It's easy to get discouraged, and even I'm three years in, and I still haven't seen the financial success that I thought that I would have at this point in my life. Not to say that it's not going to come, but I always go back to that initial thing of like, you put in the work and you keep doing it, success will come. And it's hard because I think it's easy to compare like, oh, this person did this at this time. This, And I mean, if you're in territory, there's territories that have a lot to do. Like there's a lot of things that you can't control. And there's another thing we talk about a lot on the podcast is really controlling what you can control. And you went into a territory that was one of the worst and then built it up to one of the I was sales rep of the year three years later because we came out with some hot products mm-hmm. and um, I got to know the doctors really well I got those products in their hands and I said you know try these out I think these are going to really improve the results of your angioplasties and sales just exploded I couldn't believe it and I got them in some of the biggest hospitals in Houston and sales took off and then you know, a year later, I was on top of this. I was in Florida at the national sales meeting on the stage, getting the award for sales rep of the year. But I had built the relationships for those, three years for <laughs> at least two. Okay, and but those relationships, when the good products finally came out, mm-hmm. and I caught a break, I was able to take advantage of the relationships that I built up. And a lot of times, the break is external. Like I've noticed. I mean, even when I took this new job, I wasn't looking. It just was one of those things. It's like one of my good friends that I see her. I mean, I don't see her as much, but she just randomly reached out to me. It was like, hey, this person reached out. If I had never, you know, been friends with her or built that relationship with her, she probably never would have reached out to me. So I feel like it's always those things that just come out of nowhere. And it's not a direct correlation. I think that's one thing that I've really learned in my career is that you might be calling or building these relationships, but it took a product to come out for you to skyrocket. But I think it's just understanding that maybe what you're doing day in and day out is not gonna, it's not, I don't know how to explain this. Do you see what I'm trying to say? Like whether you're calling or sending emails, like if you're in sales, it might not be one of those emails that might pop up, but you might get a lead from something or someone might call you. You know what I mean? I think it's when you're putting out that energy and you're putting in the work, things will come back. It's just a matter of time. You might have a sales manager where you are now. What I envision for you is you'll have a sales manager one day say, you know what, um, Cindy just left the company and we want you to take on three of her top accounts because we've seen how hard you work. We're going to give you her three, three of her top accounts. Yeah. Or, you know what I'm saying? Or a company might move to Dallas. There's a lot of corporate relocations going on. Someone might move to Dallas. They might want your company's products. Oh, let's talk. Let's have put Aaron on them because she's been working really hard on these other ones. If you work hard, your sales manager might give you leads. Somebody might leave the company and you can backfill mm-hmm. their accounts. Things like that happen. Yeah. Because you're viewed as the consistent, steady, hard worker that always shows up. They'll give you those opportunities. 
Yeah. And it's all mental management. That's another thing too, that it's hard, especially when you're young in your career. I feel like there's a, you're putting in a lot more work and I don't think you're seeing as much rewards, but it's just knowing that at some point and sometime it's going to happen. Yeah. I'm trying to think I didn't make, I'm trying to think I didn't make over a hundred thousand dollars until I was on, 31 it took a while yeah it took a while i mean it's not easy but yeah. once you get in that and you start getting it rolling it's that's really good yeah um but it took a while there was a lot of there were some times when i i was like wow this is when you get out when you this is another message i want to get to people <laughs> when you leave college and you get that diploma and you walk across that stage you think oh this is going to be easy i'll just walk into the business world and live happily ever after. This is when things are just getting started. Mm-hmm. It's a lot harder than you think it is. And you just have to get that mindset that now the work is really starting mm-hmm. and you have to stick to it over time. But just because you have that, that education, which is great, but there's a whole new education ahead of you and a whole different world out there ahead of you. And you have to, I just don't want people to be entitled. Think, well, I'm owed this. Well, I've been out of college for three years. I should be making a hundred thousand. <laughs> you have Hi, to. It's me. <laughs> you have to realize that there's a lot more to it, and it's going to take a little time. Sometimes it'll take longer than you think, but eventually things will pop, will crack for you. And it's all about timing, I think, in your life. And for me personally, it's like you want to do this or you want to be at this place and this is something that you can agree with. There's a lot of learning that has to happen, I think, before you hit certain milestones. Like there's a lot of grit and stuff that you have to go through. And I think a lot of it, I mean, for me, a lot of it is like a faith thing, like a God thing, but you have to get to a place where I think you can appreciate it. I think if you're given things overnight and someone said this, uh, you know, I was talking with someone about social media for the podcast and she was like, honestly, I think you really just need to do it. You just need to be in the grind of it. Cause when you go to hire someone out, you're going to appreciate that person so much more because you know how much work it takes. And now I'm like, that was one of the best pieces of advice that I've gotten. Is just to go do it. Yeah, like with the podcast, we'll just do it because I think it's easy to be like, oh, well, I just want to have someone else do it because I'm not good at it. And she's like, you're going to appreciate the journey a lot more when you start from the beginning and go out. And it's something that I knew, but I just didn't realize, you know, how much work social media was or all this stuff with the podcast. I'm like, oh, if I could pay someone, you know, X amount of money to do it, it would take time off of my hands just so I could focus elsewhere and like really focus on the vision. And she said that. And I was like, wow. Yeah. I've heard this a lot about successful entrepreneurs. They mm-hmm. they have an idea of what they want to do, but they know about 30% of it and they just kind of iterate and make changes along the way. They don't day one go, okay, I'm going to build this company, we're going to do this and this, and they, they, they just make changes along the way and they grow along the way. Sometimes things happen that they don't expect to take their business in a different direction, but they just kind of iterate and make those changes along the way. And that's what you're doing right now. Which is another thing to touch on too. You graduated and thought you were going to do one thing and 30 years later, you're probably doing something completely different because software was not booming when you graduated college. Dealing with change, change is inevitable. Touch on that and give a piece of advice for people out there that are going through change personally or professionally. I think I I heard this from Pat Riley, the old basketball coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. He ended up going to the New York Knicks for, for like seven years took them to the NBA Finals. Then he ended up going to the Miami Heat, and he won two world championships there. And people asked him, about well, why would you go from the Lakers to the Knicks? Why would you go from the Knicks to the Heat? And he said, 
the only constant in life is change. Every day mm. things are changing. You have to embrace change. Okay. We had a saying when I was at EMC, if you don't like change, if you don't accept change, if you don't embrace change, you're going to like irrelevance a whole lot worse. You have to realize that whether it's business or personal, things are going to change. And you have to be willing to adjust. And companies look at people that are resistant to change as someone they don't want in their mm-hmm. company. You want some, they want people that are like, okay, well, I'll give it a shot. You don't want people that are fighting all that. And, you know, like when I left college, I thought real estate was going to be really hot. And a real estate really slowed down at that time. I, I just, the timing was off. But at that time, medical sales was really hot. So I, I kind of made a shift over into medical sales. That was a great move. And in 2000, <clears throat> the dot-com thing went crazy. My brother did really well with Mark Cuban. I'm like, wow, this technology thing is really, and I, I was nervous about making the change, but my gut, going back to the instinct, my gut says, you need to get in technology. Mm-hmm. Okay. And interviewed around, but someone finally gave me a chance. But so those are basically one, three different career tracks I've been on real estate, medical sales, and now high tech sales, all because of inflections in the economy, inflections in business that I identified. And I even talked to some of my old doctors from my medical sales days. They said, that was one of the smartest things you did was getting out of medical. <laughs> you realize it was going to be, it was changing with the reimbursements, the government intervention. Um, that was a good move for you to do that. And again, going back to the gut feeling, the in, if you mm-hmm. feel a certain way, you know, like I, heard, I heard Oprah Winfrey once, she gives college graduation speeches about trusting your instincts. Mm-hmm. She says, all this book knowledge you've learned in your life, that's great. She goes, the best thing I've learned is to trust my instincts, mm-hmm. trust my gut. She goes, the biggest mistakes I made is when I didn't trust my gut. Okay? And I can tell you that's happened a few times with me when I decided to like invest in rental homes. I realized it was really a pain in the rear end. I ended up selling them. But my gut told me not to do it, but I did it anyway. So... Your gut is usually right. If you think the economy is changing a certain way or another part of business is, is going to take off, you're probably right because it's based on your years of experience. That's what your gut, your intuition is. And I think sometimes people ch- are chasing money. They're chasing, yes. I'm changing industries because it has this or I'm chasing this. From your perspective, is that something if you made that move, like maybe it was the rentals home, you went into it because you thought you were going to make a profit and it didn't end up. Was there a time in your life where you made a decision based off of something that maybe wasn't as genuine or was off of your gut instinct that ended poorly? Because that's an, I think it's another thing too that I've seen is when people reflect back on failures that they had, a lot of times the step they took wasn't aligned with either their values or really where they wanted to go, but it was more of a financial decision, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like the first move I went into real estate, I thought I'd heard all these people at Trammell Crow had made millions. They got mm-hmm. equity in the buildings, but I didn't really know how it worked. And I didn't really do enough research on how, how the real estate markets were at that time. Had I done that, I probably wouldn't have gone to work for them. Actually, I turned down a really good medical sales job right out of college. I was going to work for Marion Labs out of Kansas City. And my dad was not happy with me because I turned it down. It was a great job because I really wanted to get in that real estate. I wanted to make a million dollars owning buildings. <laughs> um, whereas that was, was, if I'd done my research, it really wasn't the right path. So I got, I got in my, in my, I got stars wise about owning buildings versus 
is this really where the economy is going? Is this really right for me? Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was an example. Um, the reason I got into technology was that I had realized that whether you sell cars or lettuce or desks or if you're a painting company, every company is a techno- needs technology mm-hmm. to become better and more efficient. So I realized technology is really going to be the engine driver to this economy's future. And it's a really exciting place to be where a lot of the action is. That's why I decided to get into technology. More, I think that was a better reason for me to change the technology because I thought I could really help companies become more efficient by outlining, explaining, consulting on my technology, whatever that technology was going to be. Yeah. And change, instinct, there's a lot of common things that for people out there listening, you can use in any any industry, any job, anything that you're doing. It's you know, consistency, showing up. And change is hard. It's something that I I switched industries and it's hard to learn everything. I mean, it's overwhelming at first, but I think if you just put in the work and slow and steady and not like you always remind me, Aaron, just be patient. It takes time and it's hard for someone that's not patient uh, to really learn that. I want you to touch on your, (laughs) this is, I interview a lot of entrepreneurs and you went off on your own and did the rental business and he has some of the funniest stories (laughs) that he can share, but touch on that a little bit. So sales was your main. And then why did you get into the rental home business? Was that a passion? Kind of elaborate on that a little bit more. It's something interesting about you. Well, I had some extra money laying around and I was in a lot of stocks. I still am. Mm -hmm. But someone said, you know, you can make a lot of money in doing the rental homes and you get a lot of tax write-offs. Um, and, it's just another diversification strategy of your of your incomes. Mm-hmm. And so I met a guy that said, hey, well, he actually was my dentist's husband. And he said, hey, I, I, can, I can tell you right now, I can find a house for you to buy in Plano that's just to build a brand new house in development. You can buy it. We'll lease it out to somebody. I'll represent you on the buy. And, and we'll do a lease purchase. And in a year from now, you'll sell it and make, 60, 70 grand. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. <laughs> we did this first deal and we leased it to this, this husband and wife and then they paid their rent every month on time. And then after about a year later, we sold it to them because they wanted to own it and it made a nice like $50,000 profit. And then he said, hey, I've got another property for you where somebody's living in the house. Well, what I did wrong there was I trusted this real estate agent. I didn't really even meet this guy. Okay. This I, wasn't your friend. Well, no, this, this is, this is the friend. This is the husband of the dentist. Okay. Okay. Same guy. But he goes, Hey, I've got another deal for you. Okay. Since the first one went so well, mm-hmm. I didn't do enough due diligence on the second one. So we bought this house and it's a nice house, but I didn't even meet the, the tenant that was already in there. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted to do, um, uh, he was leasing from somebody else. But he wanted to do a lease purchase from me. So the guy that owned it, the broker found us. The guy that owned it sold it to me. But unbeknownst to me, he really wasn't up on his payments. He wasn't paying regularly. And he was having domestic issues with his girlfriend. <laughs> and so eventually we had to kick him out of the house because he he was having domestic issues and it was really crazy. That house ended up being a house of horrors. As I've told you, we've had some crazy tenants in there. We had one guy that <laughs> lied, um, didn't use a real name. Oh yeah. This is a good one. And I didn't, tr- I trusted him 
because he had his wife and kids there that he would pay rent and he gave me a check for first month's rent, last month's rent and security deposit, a cashier's check. I'm like, that's a nice check. And I took it, but I didn't do enough background research on him, but I couldn't find, I said, I can't find your name anywhere. He goes, well, I don't know what to tell you, but I got this cashier's check right here. And he had his wife and kids with him. Usually when they have their family with them, they're going to pay the rent because they got to keep those kids safe and sheltered. And to his, to his credit, he paid rent every month. But this is, this is one of the, probably the most embarrassing moments or crazy moments of my life. So 16 months <laughs> after leasing this house to this guy, okay, I get a call from the next door neighbor and I'd given the neighbors my phone number. If something happens, call me. I, this next door neighbor called me. He goes, you have a problem. I'm like, what? He goes, your tenants face first in the front yard handcuffed. And he's handcuffed. There's like eight guys standing over him. There's like six unmarked cars outside your house. Like, this is a real story. This really happened. (laughs) I go, are they the McKinney police? Is this house was in McKinney, Texas? Is it the McKinney police? No, no. Uh, I think it might be the feds. I'm like, wow. So then all of a sudden he hands them, <laughs> hands these people his cell phone and they said, is this Steve Jacoby? I'm like, yeah, do you own this home? You do own this home, right? At 1716 Winding Hollow Lane, McKinney. So yes. Well, this morning, Mr. Jacoby, we, uh, we saw your tenant come out and get the mail and we gunned it down the hill and jumped out of our cars and tackled him in the front yard because Mr. Jacoby, your tenant is on America's most wanted list. <laughs> My tenant. <laughs> That I did spider not. Spider is dying laughing. Can you believe it, Spider? I mean, my tenant, of all the tenants I could pick, my tenant was on America's Most Wanted list. I mean, I'm like, this really happened to me. <laughs> well, and this is a great lesson in doing research on who you do business with, whether you're building a house, buying a house, renting a house, <laughs> or you're going to work for a company or going to marry somebody. You better do your research. I didn't do enough research on this one. Now, the funny thing about it was the feds took everything out of the house that day. He was gone. He went to prison. I never saw this guy again. And I leased the house two weeks later, and I kept the other tenant's security deposit. So it ended up being okay. Nobody got hurt. But And you didn't get in trouble? I didn't get in trouble. I didn't know this guy was a felon. Just by the way, the reason he was on America's Most Wanted List, he was taking credit cards out in Louisiana moved across state lines that becomes federal. He was taking credit cards out in his aunts, uncles, grandpa. He was just ripping off his own relatives. He wasn't like, you know, doing any armed robberies or anything. He was just doing a lot of financial fraud with credit cards. So did he make up a name and give you the cashier's check or what was the so situation? He, he told me his name was Sean Singleton, but his name really was Sean Ware. But his check was from his wife to Wanda Singleton. She used her... Maybe it was, she used her maiden name. It said DeWanda Singleton. It cash. It was a cashier's check. And I just took him at, at his word. A little too trusting. Didn't really dig into the situation. And it didn't burn me, but it, it, was, it was kind of a frightening thing to go through. <laughs> yeah. So I had a few other tenants in that house. You know, eventually I just got kind of got tired of, you know, different things would happen. Like one time the, the tenant after them, t- two tenants after him, um, they said all their cabinets in the washer and dryer room fell off the wall and exploded on the floor. I'm like, how does that happen? Like, <laughs> I've never had cabinets fall off a wall ever. Well, they just fell off the wall and they exploded on the floor. 
and uh, we need some new cabinets. And then the husband gets on the phone and he goes, well, look, if you just pay for the cabinets, I'll install them. I'm like, so anyway, I talked to somebody that owns a lot of rental homes and she said, look, if they pay rent on time every month, just buying the cabinets, it's like 300 bucks. I told them, take $300 out of your next rent, install the new cabinets, I'll come up and make sure that they're new. But that was a weird thing. You know, like, I think tenants lie a lot to landlords. And when you deal with the general public, you, 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 yeah. I have trouble with you know people just trying to pull stuff on me like that. And a lot of times they, they don't take care of the house. I had a house in Fort Worth where the guy paid rent every month, but at the end he wanted his security deposit back. But the, the carpet was destroyed. It was going to cost me $2,000 to re-carpet the house. I said, Johnny, I can't, I can't give you the deposit back. Look at the carpet destroy yeah. so if you own rental homes you have to deal with a lot of ups and downs like that and mm-hmm. i just didn't have the patience for it mm-hmm. some people do they say you should either owe 10 rental homes or no rental homes you shouldn't own just a couple you need to own like 10 so you have economies of scale you have a have a, have a handyman team that can kind of get the houses ready to show but if you're not willing to own 10 of them you probably should not get in the business it's just, it's just a lot of work. Yeah. Well, you also had just some interesting experiences, which Mike has been on a lot and he did it and he's had situations where he, you know, had to fix someone. But I just think it's interesting. And, you know, as someone that has a full-time job doing things on the side, I always, you know, appreciate that. And I knew that was something well, that you did. I know some people that have a lot of rental homes that, that do really well. I know a guy that has a boat yard. He stores boats for people at Lake Louisville, but he has another corporate job but he owns this land. They subdivide it and he charges rent and he does really well. His wife helps with him. He makes like $11,000 a month doing it. We need him on the podcast. I like that idea. Yeah. I can get you on, get him on. That's a good, that's a good idea. Yeah. You never know. I always, I mean, that's why I do this. It's just to talk to different people that have different ideas as side hustles. And a lot of times it's like the one thing that you think, like you start this just for fun or a passion to make extra money. And then you realize like, wait, I'm making more than I am at my normal job. And it's something that I really enjoy. And then. I mean, he said he just started doing it and mm-hmm. thought it would work. And it just worked and worked and worked and worked. And then now he's basically replaced his corporate income. Mm-hmm. with this boat storage who would think parking boats on dry ground with a, some walls around it just like corrugated metal you can make that much money at but he is yeah and it just keeps coming in every month it's so, finding a need and he found people, a need yeah and he, he found out what his customers wanted and he gave it to him yeah <laughs> he's he's found so much that he's actually buying more land and he's adding on to it so yeah but it's it's like one of those things in life where you can think about doing something, mm. but thinking about doing it and doing it are two different things. He actually acted on his thoughts. That's a good thing for you to elaborate on. I love when people touch on that because there's a lot of people that say, 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 and don't do, 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 do. And it's, I mean, even for me, like there's times that Mike's called me on this. He's like, you keep saying this, but you haven't done anything. So what are you going to do about it? You keep talking about it or you're going to actually do it? And it's always a wake, wake up call. Touch on that a little bit. Yeah. I mean. Well, I mean, doing it, I've done a lot of, you know, I've done two or three strategic career changes. Um, but you hear entrepreneurial stories where mm-hmm. um, I, I heard a story about one guy um, that started the hair club for men. And he said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I just had an idea and I thought I'd act on it. He goes, I was probably too dumb to even know any better. He ended up being a multimillionaire. I had a guy next door. This is a great one. The guy next door to me where I live now. 
young guy. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, well, why does he have this house? And he had played professional baseball. He got to the double A team for the Cleveland Indians and he hurt his arm. His name's Nick Sunderman. Hope you're listening, Nick, one day. He <laughs> He can be on the podcast. He would be great to be on the podcast. And he hurt his arm and his career was over. He didn't know what to do. He didn't have a college degree. And he thought, you know, maybe I should sell apparel. I could sell apparel. I really like like, you know, apparel, like jerseys and mm, I love this you know, story. uniforms. He goes, you know, what's a niche that's not filled? He said, what about the high school market? Everyone's selling to the colleges. What about the high schools? And he developed an idea to sell, set up a website. So if you're a fan of a certain high school, you can say, I want a coach's shirt or I want a windbreaker with that logo on it. And he, he'll build those for you. And he'll build them in mass quantities. And it can be a fundraiser for the school. And it gives the, the fan, the parent, a nice article of clothing to wear. But it can make him money too. He said, Steve, the high school market's way bigger than the college market. Think how many high schools there are out there. Mm-hmm. He said when he first started, he was just driving around Texas barnstorming, having sh- boxes of shirts in his trunk, racing over to a high school before a football game and dropping them off. But he he did it because he didn't even really know any better, but he just started doing it, mm-hmm. right? He did it probably pretty crudely first off, first off and then he kind of worked with it over time. And eventually he sold the company. Then he, he left my neighborhood, which I thought was pretty nice. He lives in a gigantic house now because he sold the company to private equity, part of which is owned by mm-hmm. Under Armour. But this guy doesn't have a college degree. He's like 37 years old, and he's a multi, multi-millionaire because he, he had the audacity mm-hmm. to try an idea. He was probably, if he had put that in a Harvard business school, like a, like a case study, he probably would have been told that's not a good idea. That's not going to work. But he was too "quote unquote" naive mm-hmm. to even think to even think it might not work. He had the audacity to try it. So most successful people have failed at a lot of two or three things like that, and he he's done really well with this adaptability and dealing with change. I also think too, there's a lot of times that people and I have had moments where <clears throat> I've gotten stopped up, or I think you know if. I have to do this, 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 or it has to look like this, or you have to do it this way. And I think if it just because it's not by the textbook doesn't mean it's not going to be successful. You always hear these ideas all the time of people that just woke, not woke up one morning, but like, I have this idea and I'm just going to go there. I'm going to start doing, if it picks up, it picks up. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's kind of not the, I don't care mindset, but like you just touch on like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to drive my car. I'm going to do all the dirty work. I mean, Ron touched on the last episode of like dipping strawberries. I mean, he franchised, uh, edible arrangements. And he literally was like, when I first started doing this, I was the one dipping the strawberries really? in the chocolate. I was the one doing all the stuff with pineapple. Like I was the one putting it into the back baskets and taking it to people. And he's like, once you put in that work and you do it, th- good things will come. I mean, it's a theme that we've talked about this entire episode. So it's just really intriguing to hear those different stories. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you have a lot of failures. I mean, I've had failures in my life. Yeah. I mean, I was told no so many times. You just keep going. I mean, I've talked to Mark Cuban. He's been fired from a lot of jobs in his life. You can't be afraid to fail. I mean, the best hitters in baseball that are in the Hall of Fame get a hit three out of ten times. They fail seven out of ten times, and they're in the Hall of Fame. That's probably the best analogy I give you. Hey, that's a really good way to wrap up this podcast is don't be afraid to fail. It's hard. It's something that we all deal with. It's something that I deal with all the time. I mean, failure. I mean, Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. And he came back in the next year fiercer and more aggressive than ever. And look at him now. I mean, he's the best, probably the best player ever. He was cut from his first high school basketball team. Think about that. 
for a moment for a moment. Barbara Corcoran always talks about that. She's like, I was fired. I did this, this, this. And every single time I came back stronger and stronger and stronger. And I, it just builds resilience. Every time you're told no, if you get back up and keep going. You're one step closer to a yes. You're one step closer to whoever you're going to meet or whatever that next chapter in your life is. And that's something that I really try to encompass and talk about a lot on this podcast. Because everyone that I've interviewed and the guests that I'll continue to interview all have that sense of grit. And they started somewhere. You know, you started in real estate. And now you're completely different industry having success elsewhere. Two industries later, right? Yeah. Medical sales, which was great. And a lot of people wouldn't have left it because I had success in it. Mm -hmm. I was scared out of my mind. that I'm leaving this thing that I've done so well at. That's scary. Okay. But then eventually to have the guts to try something new and believing in yourself, it ended up working out. So it's been an interesting ride. And there's still more more ride to go. (laughs) He's not retiring anytime soon. <laughs> now I can help teach you yeah. and all your friends how to do it too. I know. Well, that's the best thing about this platform. And there's so many people out there that like to share their story. And obviously that's why I have Steve on because he's always texting me, always calling me, always telling me, keep going. Or how's sales going? I'm like, oh, they're not doing that great. He's like, just keep going, keep calling, keep emailing. So yeah. <laughs> no, you can't take the place of nothing takes the place, takes the place of persistence. Just simple dogged persistence. Yeah. And hard work. You always tell me that. Yes. Keep on going. So as we wrap up this podcast, if there's two or three things that you want to leave the audience with, whether we've touched on that throughout the episode or it's something on a completely different note, let's hear it. Uh, just a few things are uh, keep your mind open and look around at other th- what you think you're going to do out of, out of college might not be the thing you end up doing, end up doing. So keep your mind open and introduce yourself to people. Meet somebody every day that you don't already know. And um, be willing to look at inflection points in your life where a certain business or a certain company might, be, might, might not be right for you and be willing to make the change, as scary as it might be. Because if your gut's telling you, I need to do something different, you should listen to your gut. And I think the most important thing is network, network, network. Mm -hmm. Because you can meet someone, one person that can change your life. I know a guy that sat in first class of an airplane and he was selling commercial carpet to office buildings. He sits next to a guy that works for a big high-end money management firm. Doesn't matter which one it was. That guy was so impressed with my friend asking him questions about his career that he gave an opportunity to work for that company and it changed his life dramatically. He went from selling carpet to managing money you know, for people because of a guy he met on an airplane on a chance encounter in first class. So that's kind of the, the best, best advice I can give you is introduce yourself to people, meet people, network, because you never know where your next opportunity is going to come. It's hard to take out the AirPods and put the phone down, but I think it's – I've met people all the time. I remember – Last little tangent here, but I remember I was on an airplane and I met this guy whose son-in-law played professional baseball and had a facility that one of my brother's friends trained at. And I don't know if I told my dad about it. And then his daughter was on The Bachelor and we knew mutual friends. So it's like, you just never know who you're going to meet. Like you meet people that you're like, wait, you work here? Or I met, when I was at my old company, I met a girl that was selling for Presidio, who was one of our competitors it was just crazy that like the people you meet you're like wait 
are you working and you're selling whatever it is? You it's just like never know. Six degrees of separation. It's really not even six degrees. It can be two or three degrees. I know. And with COVID, it might be frowned upon. But if you have that mask on, open up the dialogue. You always tell me network, network, network. And the last question is, what are you grateful for? I'm grateful for two great parents that are no longer here that gave me a lot of life lessons like this. Yeah. Um, that really have helped me out. I'm really grateful that I grew up with the parents that I had. Yeah. That's a good one. Aw. Yeah. yeah. I guess maybe I should say I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm very grateful for this podcast. I'll say for my parents who I'm always grateful for and for everyone out there listening. So thank you all for tuning in and have a great rest of your week. Thanks for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs>